Amen. Please be seated. Good morning and welcome once again. As I mentioned, my name is Craig Thompson and I'm the senior pastor here and it is our privilege to have you with us this morning. We're going to be in the book of Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12 as you're turning. Let me just give you a couple of things. There is a next steps class coming up in a couple of weeks. It's in your worship folder there. I believe that date is June the 23rd. I would love for you to be part of that if you're a guest with us or uh, have been visiting with us at one time or a lot of times you're curious about what it would look like to be a member of Malvern Hill. We would love to have you with us in that next steps class at four o'clock on the 23rd. And, and listen, here's what we're going to do for you. If you come, your graduation from that class is going to be celebrated with a church-wide fellowship in the back. So if you'll show up, we'll feed you ice cream on the back end. But uh, I hope that you'll make plans to be a part of that. All right, Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. And I'm going to read to you the Word of the Lord. Hear now, for this is God's Word. And He began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy those tenants. And give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him but feared the people. For they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that this parable would speak deeply into our hearts. Father, help us to avoid the temptation to become pharisaical. Lord God, but also let us avoid, Father God, the lie. The lie, Lord God, that Jesus is not in control. Father God, may we tune our hearts, our minds, our ears to hear from you. May your Holy Spirit work among us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Jesus told a parable. It's interesting that Jesus, as he spoke against these religious leaders, warned them in a parable um, matter of fact, Mark says, and he began to speak to them in parables. Jesus had turned away from parables. He had spoken kind of plainly to the folks. But here um, on what is probably the Tuesday of Passion Week, Jesus is returning to that parabolic form, probably because he hasn't yet fulfilled all the things that needed to be done. Jesus doesn't want to give them a good reason to arrest him immediately. So he returns to speak in parables. Now, Listen, we all love a good story. This is why Jesus spoke in parables. God created us as a narrative people. Uh, when we read the Old Testament, we, we, we find that the story of God's creation of mankind is, is a story that speaks deeply into our hearts because God has created us as a storying kind of people. 
But you know, of all the storylines, few are as inspiring or as exciting as those stories built around justice. The movies really scream this to us, don't they? Movies reveal our desire repeatedly to see wrongs made right and justice served. We can talk about some of our favorites. Just last night, my family and I went to see Aladdin, and we waited with anticipation for Aladdin to return and defeat Jafar. There's not a father alive who heard Liam Neeson warn the abductors of his daughters that he would find them, and every dad there said, that's right, yes, we will. We all knew when William Wallace's wife was killed in Braveheart what was coming next. Next month, the remake of Lion King is coming into theaters, and I can't wait for Simba to get home and to defeat his evil Uncle Scar. No one's ever seen Gladiator and forgot Maximus's line when the emperor demands that he remove his helmet and reveal his name. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix Legions, loyal to the servant, loyal servant to the true emperor Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Everyone heard that and wanted to strap on a sword and a Roman skirt and go to work. Folks, there is built into all of us a desire for justice and retribution because God has created us with an understanding of right and wrong and a just desire desire to see right promoted and wrong punished. This God who has created us with these desires also acts in accordance with the same standards. He is patient and long-suffering. He is good and kind. But as we will see this morning, just punishment awaits those who refuse God's goodness. Folks, I want you to know that this parable was told specifically to the religious leaders of Jesus' time. Jesus looked at the religious leaders who refused to give up their power and to worship and serve Him as King and Messiah. And He says to them, you have rejected the messengers of of the Father. You have even rejected the Son. And the day is coming. For you religious leaders, when you will be thrown out on your head. Folks, I want to come to you this morning and warn you that though God is patient and kind and long-suffering, He is also a God of justice and even great wrath. And this parable should serve as a warning to all of us. Religious leader or anti-religious zealot, it should serve as a warning to all of us. That the patience of our God is not forever. The day will come when He will demand a reckoning for all of those who have experienced His grace and His goodness. It is appointed unto man to die once and after that to face the judgment. This morning I want you to hear these words of Jesus as words of hope but also as words of warning. There are four things I believe that we can see from this passage of Scripture to help us to wrestle with this question. How do we welcome God's work? The first thing we should look at this morning is the kindness of the builder. Jesus said, A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. Look at the kindness of this builder. He does all of these things. He gets everything ready. He planted the vineyard. 
Then he put a fence around it to protect it. He dug a pit for the wine press. He built a tower. He got everything in place. And then the Bible says, then he leased it to them. He gave them a perfect opportunity. Here it is. I've done everything for you. All you've got to do is main this. This is a builder who cares about the people that he's leasing to and cares about what he's created. He built it well. He leased it out. Folks, have you ever considered the kindness of God towards you in the blessings that you have? Have you ever considered exactly how it is that God has blessed you? We often want to turn around and simply just ask questions about why do bad things happen or why did this happen? When's the last time you looked in the mirror and said, Good God, why do I deserve what you've given me? How in the world could I be so blessed to have all of these things? Do you know that our attention can be diverted? See, our our, our hearts can be even really darkened to the blessings that God's given to us. Sometimes when I come home to four screaming children, well, three, I'm sure that they're not all screaming at the same time, um, or, or, or I, and, and I come home and, and my, 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 my youngest ones, I mean, just daddy, 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 daddy. Last night, if I, yesterday afternoon and evening, if I heard my name one time, I heard it 832 times. And then it wasn't enough that I would hear daddy, I'd speak and I'd hear so. So just listen to me. You called my name 400 times. We were on our way to the movie, and I bet there were 400 questions. I'm not even sure. Like, we've been on the road for two and a half minutes. Are we in Columbia yet? I am going to throw somebody out a window. (laughs) I mean, you're looking around. We're driving past Walmart. Is Walmart in Columbia? That's what I want to say. At some point, we finally did have to say, stop talking. No more talking for you. Do you know in those moments... The first thing that rushes into my heart is not a gratitude for the blessing that God's given me. The Bible says that children are a blessing from the Lord. I don't often look up in the rear view at all those kids that are running their mouth and go, Wow, thank you, Jesus. You're so kind to me. (laughs) I sometimes look over at my wife and I say, What have you done to me? But that's because our, our, our hearts and our minds have been oriented in the wrong direction. You know, how often do we look around and we just have complaint after complaint rather than gratitude and thanksgiving for the blessings that God's given to us? I look up in that mirror and instead of going, why won't you hush? Perhaps we should look in the mirror and go, what would my life look like without this? Don't ask that too often to yourself when it comes to your children. What about the kindness of the Lord to have given you all the good things that He's given you? The kindness of the Lord to have given you family. A place of the kindness of God and giving us this place to worship. The kindness of the Lord in allowing you to be born in the United States of America. Where you could freely hear the word of God. Where you could freely gather with the people of God. Where you could freely worship the Lord as God. Where you are not compelled at the point of a gun to denounce the Lord as God. The kindness of God in giving you all of these incredible opportunities. The kindness of the builder in laying it all out. How about the kindness of God in simply giving His Word? Have you ever considered the possibility that God could have created the world with all sorts of expectations and rules and never told you what they were? Have you ever considered that God could just be sitting up in heaven going, Ah, caught you messing up again, and He never explained to you exactly what it was that He desired? This is the picture of Greek mythology, in case you were curious. If you want to know what that looks like, study Greek mythology and you'll discover that the Greek understanding of the gods is that they were just sitting up there somewhere waiting for you to do something that didn't make them happy so they could wipe you off the face of the planet. 
Instead, we have this picture of a God who is loving and kind and just, who is long-suffering, a God who has given us a book of rules and, 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 and a book of love because he said, I want you to know how it is that you may live a life that is pleasing to me. Jesus says the man planted the vineyard and he put a fence around it and he dug it and then he leased it out. Have you considered that according to the book of Genesis, the Bible says that God created all of this and then he set mankind, man and woman, over his creation as his vice regents. As his prince and princess over the creation to rule for him. This is the gift that God's given to you and he said what? Have Dominion, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. To have dominion is this idea that we are in control of of manipulating and managing this world that God has given us. The blessings of the Lord. The blessing of the Lord and that He created us different from the animals. I'm going to break your heart about your dog. Your dog doesn't appreciate anything in your home other than food and his chew toy. He likes you. Right? He doesn't look at any of your furniture and go, that is beautiful. Your dog never sat beside you at a sunset and gazed at that sunset and appreciated the beauty of that sunset. He didn't do it. He doesn't have the ability to do it. And your cat, your cat's just trying to kill you. (laughs) And it doesn't really matter what pet you have, they don't appreciate beauty. They don't. It's not possible. They don't stare into the eyes of your children with awe and wonder. They act with instinct. And yet God has given us this incredible privilege to look at the world around us in full living color. We can look at the trees and we can see the hue of the green leaves. We can look at the the sun and see that it is not just one giant yellow. It's yellows and oranges, reds. You can walk out here and you can notice that some of the grass is greener than the other grass. You can see the distinction in the beauty that comes in the landscape. You can look at a piece of artwork and behold it as beautiful. You can look at these stained glass windows and go, that is amazing. God gave us that. Why? Because He's a good God who loves us and desires for us to experience good things. He gave us the ability to appreciate and enjoy taste. He gave us sleep as his privilege. Adam gave me a book on sleep this week. And one of the things, I woke up yesterday morning and I was so grateful for two things in my life. I was grateful for the refreshing and rejuvenating power of sleep and the refreshing and rejuvenating power of God's Word. And through those two things, God can remake a human being. The blessings, the privileges that God gives us. The joy of experiencing love and real relationships. He didn't just create us to mate and procreate for, for just the sake of, 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 being, of, of multiplying. He's given us the opportunity to enjoy those relationships. What a privilege that God has given to us. The kindness of the Lord. Consider it. Consider this morning the patience of the builder and the patience of God towards you. The Bible says when the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them. And they said, no, we're not giving you anything. We're just going to summarize that in the Craig version. And he sent somebody else and they beat him up and said, we ain't giving you nothing either. 
Consider the patience. He continued to sin. Now, if we understand a little bit about God's word, we know that Jesus here is referring to the Pharisees. He's talking to them about how it often it is that God had sent his prophets to Israel. And especially to Jerusalem to call the people back from their idolatry. That over and over and over again, God sent them. And over and over and over again, the people refused to hear them. And over and over and over again, God's prophet said, Lord, do I have to continue to do this? And God said, Elijah, quit feeling sorry for yourself and get back to work. And God said, Elisha, get back to work. And God said, Jeremiah, I have hardened your head against them. They will gripe, but they will not overcome you. Get back to work. That's what God continued to do because he took his children that he loved and he sent prophets that he loved and he called the people to come back to faithfulness. Folks, have you considered the patience of God towards you? Some of you could stand up and testify this morning and recount God's patience in your own salvation. Some of you could stand up and tell me how it was that God was patient with you for five years or ten years or twenty years or thirty years. We've even had stories of those folks who have come to Christ in their seventies and they could recount God's patience through year after year after year of sinful rebellion. God's patience towards you and that you are still breathing. And while we breathe, we hope. We know that to be true here in the state of South Carolina is our motto. But folks, we know it to be true across all of God's green earth. While there is breath, there is hope. Because while there is breath, there is an opportunity for a human being to give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you considered the patience of God in allowing you to live long enough to hear this word being preached? Have you considered the patience of God in that he didn't wipe you off the face of the earth when you deserved it five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago? Have you considered the patience of God in that he continues to send the gospel message your way so that you might be saved? Have you considered that God is patient and long-suffering? But have you considered that God's patience is a gift to you and it is not an eternal requirement. See, there are many in here today who have no regular commitment to live in your life for Jesus, and yet God continues to be patient. He continues to give you chance after chance after chance. Some of you have made promise after promise after promise to the Lord. Some of you have sat in worship services just like this and said, God, I'm done. I won't do that again. And in the dead of the night, you said, God, I'm done. I won't do that again. And then six days later, God, I won't do that again. And three days later, God, I won't do that again. Have you considered, perhaps, the danger that some of us fall prey to believing that God's patience is weakness? The danger of believing that because God has not punished you, that God either will not or cannot punish you. 2 Peter 3 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why is God patient with you in your sin and in your rebellion? Not because he is unable to deal with your sin and your rebellion. But because he has dealt with your sin and rebellion on the cross of Calvary in the person of Jesus Christ, and his longing desire 
is that you would give your heart and life to Jesus, that you would repent of your sins and that you would be saved. Why is God patient and long-suffering? Because God's desire is not that you die separated from Him, but that when you close your eyes on this side of eternity, that you open your eyes with Him in the presence of the Father. In other words, God is patient with you because God longs to see you in a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me urge you this morning. Let me urge you. Don't impose upon the patience of the Lord. God's patience is a gift towards you and not a requirement. And He is not required to be patient with you one more minute than He has been. None of us are guaranteed a second breath. You say, Pastor, that seems a little bit pushy. It is, but it's true. But I'm going to tell you what else might be a little more believable to you. None of you are guaranteed another opportunity to hear God's Word and to have an opportunity to respond. See, here's the truth. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning, God is not required by any standard of expectation to send His Holy Spirit to convict you of your sins ever again. And if He is coming this morning, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Give your heart to Jesus. The patience of God in giving you opportunity and opportunity again. And then finally, or next this morning, we see the sacrifice of the builder. The Bible says the builder sent his own son. Jesus is speaking in a parable, but folks, let's just be honest. This one doesn't get any more clear than this. He's speaking in a parable, but as he's speaking in that parable, here's what's happening. Jesus says, you're fixing to kill me, the very son of God. Folks, we can look back in the 21st century and we can know that what Jesus said is that when he came into that place, they not only rejected him, they killed him, hoping what? That if they could get him out of the way, then they could have all the power and all the authority and all of the rule. Jesus, the son, the cornerstone, whom the tenants have rejected, in their desire to have their power, they refuse to hear Jesus. But folks, isn't this still the case for many today? Isn't this still the case for many today? That they refuse to hear the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, there's some of you here today who have heard God's word. You've not struggled to appreciate or understand God's word. You've not struggled to believe God's word. The reality is you've not obeyed God's word because to obey the word of God would be to lose out on the life that you've committed to living. To bow before the Lord would be to remove yourself from the throne of your life and to put somebody else in control. See, this is an ugly truth that many of us don't like to acknowledge. But much of what keeps us from giving our life to Jesus and living our life for Jesus has absolutely nothing to do with Jesus and everything in the world to do with our sinful convictions and desires to live for ourselves. Consider the sacrifice of the builder, the sacrifice of God himself who sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross of Calvary so that you and I may experience eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. But it's only free to us. It cost him everything. Consider the sacrifice of the Father on your behalf. Folks, believing in Jesus will cost you much. But I want you to know that to reject Him will cost you everything. Jesus is the cornerstone whom the builders have rejected, whom the religious leaders of that day had rejected. But folks, He's the cornerstone whom many of you have rejected today. 
And just because God has been patient to this point does not mean that He will be patient with you forever. Because as we will see, the builder in this parable, the God whom we know, is not only patient, He's not only kind, He's not only sacrificial, He is also just and wrathful. And this morning it is appropriate that we consider the wrath of a holy God. The whole idea of a wrathful God is not popular in Western culture today. But if we read the Bible honestly, there is no way to avoid understanding God as a God of mercy and and justice, a God of grace and wrath. In Matthew 10, 28, Jesus warns us all with these words, Do not fear what man can do. Do not fear he who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Folks, we are right to be afraid of a holy God. It is absolutely true that God is good and gracious, but do not mistake His goodness for weakness. He is just and wrathful toward those who refuse His offer of hope and salvation. God has shown you kindness and patience and has even sacrificed His own Son for your salvation. Do not test His patience further today. Turn today toward His goodness and His love. Turn today into His grace and experience it for yourself. Just as Jesus assured the Pharisees that the builder would someday return to demand payment and exact justice, so too will the Lord return to demand payment and exact justice for all of those who have rejected Him. He will return in glory and power and wrath and vengeance. The Bible is clear. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And none of us will escape that fate. It is appointed unto man to die once and after that to face the judgment. And the only hope we have in that day of judgment is that our life is secure in Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, this is a pretty depressing sermon. I want you to know that it's only depressing if you're living in your sin because the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that the wrath of God is 100% avoidable. The wrath of God is not predetermined for anyone except for those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. There is hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I come to you this morning and I beg and I urge and I plead... Will you look at the goodness of God and the patience of God and the sacrifice of God? And will you turn from the wrath of God toward the cross of Jesus Christ? Will you bow in humble repentance and accept all that He has done on your behalf? See, this parable from Jesus shows us God's kindness, God's patience, God's sacrifice, and God's wrath. And yes, it was spoken against religious leaders. So let's just step back for a minute. And let's say what Jesus was talking to. He was talking to a bunch of hypocrites. Okay? To a bunch of hypocrites. Now, I might have stood on this soapbox once before, but I'm going to stand on it one more time just in case some of you didn't hear it. A lot of times it can be easy for us to stand outside the church and point a finger into the church at all those hypocrites. But I want to explain something to you. If you say, I don't want to be a part of the church because the church is full of hypocrites, 
then logically what you have said is that you alone have an appropriate understanding of the Word of God and you, better than the people inside of the church, are obeying the Word and the will of God. Right? So if you stand outside the church and point fingers at those inside the church and say, you hypocrites who don't do the will of God, but you refuse to be a part of God's church, I want you to understand, you are living the same hypocritical lifestyle because the expectation of God's word is that those who belong to Jesus belong to God's church. Period. End of discussion. Right? Just in case you were curious, we can walk through all of God's word and see over and over and over again a repeated reference and and recommendation and urging that the people of God, Jesus even said to Peter, you are Peter on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's an expectation that the people of God be plugged into the church of God. You don't get to stand outside the church and cast stones inside the church and all those hypocrites in there. Now, if you want to come into the church and grow in the church and cast stones at all the hypocrites inside the church, come on, we'd love to have you. Nobody laughed. Maybe you didn't laugh because you're a little uncomfortable that you might get hit. What I'm saying to you right now is that Jesus' warning applies to all of us. All of us who have ever stood on, us, uh, stood on our own box and say, I've got it all figured out and all the rest of you better listen to me. I'm here to tell you this morning there is one authority and it, that authority is right here. The very word of God. Period. This parable was spoken to religious leaders But folks, its application goes far beyond only religious leaders. The application of this parable moves all the way down to every single human being who's ever lived and heard the Word of God. Beware! Beware that you begin to presume upon the patience of God. That you begin to presume upon the kindness of God. That you even begin to presume upon the sacrifice of God on your behalf. Folks, there is only one hope. Your position in this life will not protect you any more than the position of the religious leaders could protect them. There is only one hope. Only one ground for optimism in the life to come when you stand face to face with your Creator. There is no hope in your worldly accomplishments. There is no hope in your popularity. There is no hope in your power. There is no hope in your possessions. There is only hope in the promised one, Jesus Christ. And in Christ rests all of your hopes and aspirations. He is your hope and your future. William Batcher Bradbury was a musician and a churchman in the middle part of the 19th century. One day, his brother was reading a novel. And it was in that novel that a certain poem was first written. And he brought that poem to his brother, the composer. And he said to his brother, look at this poem. And the brother, the composer, took that poem and set it to music and added a chorus to create a song that we've all grown to love. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. What great truths we find in that little children's song. But Bradbury gave us More than just Jesus loves me, he gave us great truths and many other hymns. And one of those hymns is a a hymn that we continue to sing today. And sometimes we sing it set to other music and interspersed with other songs. But it's a song called The Solid Rock. 
If you grew up in a Southern Baptist church, you've sang this song for all of your life. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. The original writing of that was actually, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ's righteousness. It was rewritten to say Jesus' blood, because without the blood of Jesus, there is no hope. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. But pastor, what if I can't see him? And what if trusting is too hard? Listen to the words of William Bradbury. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ. The solid rock I stand. Even when I can't see. All other ground is sinking sand. But Christ holds me fast. But pastor. Pastor. How could I know that he's good to his word? How could I trust this God? Bradbury again gives us this great word. His oath. His covenant. His blood. Support me in the whelming flood when all around my soul gives way. He then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. He closes that song with a reminder that when the trumpet sounds, Jesus will return to take all of those who are His own. And I come to you this morning and I beg you. I beg you to take Jesus seriously. I beg you this morning to turn off your own rebellion. To turn off your own filter. And to trust Jesus. I beg you this morning to hear what I've said about the coming wrath of a holy God. But I don't want to leave you this morning in the hands of wrath. I want to leave you this morning with the words of hope. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. Jesus came into the world to save the world. See, we we are born into condemnation, but Jesus came. With this great promise, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We're a storying people. And this is a story of a God who has given good gifts and has been patient and long-suffering and kind to His wayward children. A God who has sacrificed. But it's also a story that contains the end. The hard truths that this good, kind, loving, sacrificial God is also just and wrathful. It is appointed unto man to die once, and after that to face the judgment. Will you stand before the Lord clothed in the righteousness of Christ? Or would you stand before the Lord clothed only in the rags of your own selfish ambition and effort?
Oh, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. Will you stand with me this morning? And will you stand with me with Jesus? Let us pray. Father God in heaven, I pray that you would work among us, in us, and through us. Father, this word is powerful and transforming. I pray, Lord God, that it would transform lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.